This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. What's up, Smooth Operators? Welcome to Friday's episode. You made it. End of another great week. I hope it's been good for you. On this side, man, every day is an adventure. Every day is part of the journey. And I am thankful for every last little bit of it because, dude, it's the battle scars that build us. It's it's the all the trials, like everything that we have to go through to become the entrepreneurs, become the business leaders that our teams need and our people need more than anything. Like you're going to face adversity. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to have to elevate yourself to another level. And that's why I can't wait for this episode. I've been looking forward to this interview for some time. Um, so I just have this amazing entrepreneur to, to discuss all sorts of amazing questions with you with you guys. And I've I got a whole list of them, but we'll try to get through as many as possible. Let me introduce our guest of honor, though. We have Armin Shafi. He's the founder of HighTicketCoaching.com. And honestly, he started with nothing as a coach himself. He's been bankrupted himself a couple times. He's been through all the trials and tribulations you can imagine. But now he has one of the fastest growing coaching companies in the industry and became a millionaire in just 12 months. Once he you know, hit that inflection point of his own and started growing his company, and now he's on a personal mission to help a thousand coaches, help a thousand clients each through his comprehensive programs. Dude, Armin, so good to have you. How are you doing today? A privilege to be here. Thank you, Adam, for having me as well. I'm doing good, man. Life is delicious. This present moment is all we have, so it's really good to live in it. Absolutely. And for, for all you listeners out there, we were like in the same line at Funnel Hacking Live like seven months ago, getting our two comma clubs. So that's where I first in- encountered Armin and got to see this company that he's built. And that really leads me into my first question, because you guys have like a real distinct culture in your company. It's it's displayed in everything you do. And at Funnel Hacking Live, a room full of big um, big personalities, you guys stood out because of the way you carried yourself, the presentation you made. Like, what have you done to create this culture within your company? What was the inspiration for that? You know, Adam, it's so interesting. I remember I started about six years ago, seven years ago, and there was one idea I obsessed in my mind is one day I'll be um, on a stage and they'll ask me, how did you do it? <laughs> and specifically asking, how did you build a company with that culture? And you're the first person since then that's asked me this very specific question. And I'm sitting here nostalgically thinking, wow, that happened. Um, and I didn't know it's going to happen this way. I didn't think it's going to be from all the Marvel stuff and, you know, the culture and the personality. I really didn't think it'd happen this way, but it's so interesting how life works. I'm sitting here like, wow, you just asked the question that I visualized for so many times and I forgot about. I just thought one day I want to be a great leader. I don't want, I don't really care about how much money we make. Like, I mean, that's, it's just a number, but like with the company behind it, the team behind it, the, the psychology of the people, the, the culture, how we communicate with each other, what we stand for, that I feel like would be so worthwhile building something great. So Thank you for asking me the question. 
And uh, I have to admit, I have to confess, I did not really think about how I would answer this. I just would only imagine the question being asked. <laughs> so I'm sitting here. The real answer is, it starts off in a way. But first, I, I've met myself. You know, you can build a culture in a company that stands out or unique if you don't see that strand of you that's you, like your DNA. So for a long time, actually, it's funny, only a, a year ago that we really started building this kind of culture, even though I've been in this for you know six plus, five plus years. It was only a year ago. And what happened was I got so obsessed with the building of something great. And uh, my team kept hitting me up like, hey, you got to do something. You know, like you have all this money, you got to spend it. And I'm like, I don't, I'm just, I mean, I just like one expensive home I live in and, and I have a sports car about like a while back. And I'm like, that's pretty much it. But they're like, no, you got to do something. I'm like, all right, what would I do if I could buy anything? And I just thought about like, I really like Marvel. I love superheroes. Um, they're inspiring the movie. So I'm like, let me just buy some of the toys. And I just went on a rampage. I bought everything, the shield, the axe, the hammer. And eventually it's just sitting in my condo. And every time I went live on, on Zooms and, and coaching calls, team meetings, they would all just see my stuff in the background. And just started naturally, organically emerging into like, I became like the Marvel dude. My hair started growing out, so it curled down like Superman. And I'm like, that's a DC thing, but still a superhero. And I started going this thing. And they're like, now you look at Moses. It's really confusing. But um, but overall, like it just kind of organically grew because of my own, like, my own kind of like things I love, like it's stupid things I love. And that integrated with like the brand you saw, which is, you know, we all showed up with like our Marvel, you know, uh, the collectibles in our hands and we got on stage. I'm like, you know, it'd be really awesome because the idea of a superhero in the movies and why I'm inspired and I love them so much is that's human, that's humanity creating a, a, a symbol of possibility. Like superhero movies is really just another way humanity is trying to ex exercise what's already innate in them. They're exercising that everything's possible, that there's something super uh, supernatural and powerful inside of us. So when you see like, there's a story I used to, I love to tell Adam about DC versus Marvel. There's a really beautiful story about their history and how Marvel just overtook them. DC was making stories around these supernatural like beings that came to Earth, like Superman came from Krypton, and um, and and Aquaman came from like the the water and below. And so it was all these supernatural beings. Only Batman was the one who was just an ordinary dude who just decided to help. And by the way, he's the most loved superhero of all of them because he's not seen as a superhero. He's seen as a regular guy who's trying to help. But see, Marvel did something different. Marvel started coming out with not ordinary people becoming extraordinary. Spider-Man gets bit by a spider, right? Iron Man builds the technology, but he's a normal guy. And then they went into like the Thor from other places, but they started with like ordinary people that became extraordinary. And that's why those stories went viral way more than DC and they just blew DC out of the water. So for a long time, I used to watch Marvel and I would go, I see myself because you see yourself in the superhero. Like Peter Parker is just a normal kid, but he wants to help. And so you fall in love with that character because you feel like that could be me. But DC was very unrelatable, whereas Marvel was relatable. So in a weird way, I think like entrepreneurs, the people that go out after the dreams, and it's not that working for jobs is bad or anything like that, but there's a specific element that, that happens inside of a person when they decide to go out on their own, build their own thing. I feel like that's like the real life superhero. That's the Peter Parker, you know, getting bit by a spider. Like you got bit by the entrepreneurial book. And so when we showed up, I'm like, it'd be cool to have these symbols because they represent extraordinary and ordinary. 
And so that's really all it was. It was just like an inspiring way I saw myself and then I saw my team. And then we're like, we should see people like this because everyone's doing this, but they don't see themselves as superheroes. So the real superheroes in life are entrepreneurs, the real ones, the people who are leaders like that go out and pave the way if there isn't one. And so that kind of happened right at the last in the last year. But from the get-go, how the culture, like the kind of mindset our team has, it was built with me. It was built with me working on myself through all my hardships. And I remember distinctly, when I first started, I used to run live seminars before the online game. And my team wasn't like this at all. I mean, it was like, it was kind of weird. It was like, you know, as my mentor would say, you have a bunch of losers running around. And I'm like, don't say that. Like, I, I love them. And he's like, you don't get it. Like, these guys, they're not going anywhere in life. And you're just wasting your time. And and I'm like, I didn't want to accept that at the time because I love them. But I'm like, yeah, like a lot of them don't have really purpose or confidence or any of this stuff. And they're just kind of leeching off of me. And what changed was I went through some serious hard times, right? I went through like a serious depression. I found myself. Napoleon Hill talks about this in Outward and the Devil. There's a story where he literally loses everything. And for a whole year, he goes off and he lives with his brother out in the wilderness and like in the mountains. And he was just living in fear for a year. And suddenly he just came to a place where he's like, he's walking around with a gun because he thought someone's going to kill him. And he's like, in that trial and tribulation, he met what he calls his other self. What I've realized that to become today is your consciousness, right? It's like, we're all human beings, but we're not, we're not humans. We're spiritual beings in a human experience, not human beings in a spiritual experience. And so um, what he met with this consciousness, which I met through those hard times, those hard times I was faced, I met my real self, not even my other self, like my real self, because the illusion is who you and I are. Like Armin was a name given to me. This body's just a pound of flesh. But there is an intelligence behind our body that's making this all work, like a soul tethering into the body. And so those hardships made me go on these journeys. And Napoleon says, like um, Andrew Carnegie told Napoleon in the book, emergencies are often the most spiritual experiences because it's the only time a man is faced with one question. What am I doing? An eye-opening, conscious opening question, which you go, you sit there, you go, what am I really doing? You really think for a moment. You separate from all the illusions, the habits of day-to-day life, and you start to actually question when you question like a philosopher does, like, why is this happening? Why am I here? Why am I this person? Why am I doing this? You start to see this gap, the separation between the things that material things that we look at as life and life itself, because life situation, life is different. Life situation is the mental construct you make in your mind. Like I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a guy. I like this. I'm a, I'm in the military. Like I'm an entrepreneur. These are the life situational things. This is what stresses people out because it has to, because life happening has to meet these standards of what life situation should be for them. But if you remove situation, it's just life. And life itself is just this present moment right now on this call. We're together. Like that's all there is. And everything is always perfect and good in the, in the right now moment. Even when you're feeling pain, there's a meditation to feel the sensation in your body. Like I'm feeling pain. So situation is what we're all dealing with, calling it life, but it's not life. So in those moments, I kind of separate the gap between my situation and my life, and I start to meet God. And he would say this super intelligence, this supernatural consciousness, this, this thing in me that's also in all things. And I go, wow, life is so much more than the award, than the money, than the me meeting my goals or me being this guy or proving this thing. It's so much more. Life is beyond so much more. I've been living in a box. And every time I went through those hardships where I would get caught up in the illusions of all this shit. I would come out more severely conscious. Every time that happened, I would see my team evolve with me. And so in a way, it was me being worked on by life and becoming closer and closer to consciousness and awareness and waking up to these things that made the way I operated as a human being around them, 
made it just a default for them. And it's, it's, it's not something I would teach them. I wouldn't be like, this is mindset. I would just show up in the way I handled things, the way I thought, the way I dealt with stuff. Even if I like would yell at someone, and like we're entrepreneurs, I, I used to lose temper all the time. I, sometimes I'm like, and I'm in a sales team meeting. I'm like military, like I'm a militant person in my sales team meetings because I'm like, I run a tight ship, guys. I'm like, this is what you sign up for, this is sales. There's, there's no zenness here. There's no feminine energy here. It's all masculine. Like you got to go out and achieve stuff. So, and then I, afterwards I'll come back and be like, Hey, you good? You know, I'm there for you. You know, I'm doing this for you. And so like, I would do that. And they would even see me do that. Like the awareness I had between taking responsibility for things and watching my ego and maintaining it, even though the ego is not supposed to be removed. It's supposed to be uh, serving you, just not your master. It's a, it's a shitty master, but a terrible servant. So I, I learned in those hardships how to make it my servant and stop being a bitch to my own ego. And they would watch that and they go, wow, that's so interesting. They would evolve. So the culture got developed from a lot of just environment, like proximity with me going through really tough times and them watching me go through it. And then they eventually started to develop that kind of awareness. And then they started doing that with themselves. And I would like learn from them. And also from just the me leaning into just the fun, stupid, quirky things about me and bringing in a meaningful uh, meaning like being, being a deeper meaning to it. So it's just not just Marvel. It's a symbol of possibility. Like those two things combined created the kind of unique culture you see today where genuine, like people, I hire people on the first thing they say the first week in my company is like, I've never been in a company like this first week. I don't, I've never seen people talk to each other like this, uh, work this way, be this happy all the time, be this inspired. Like, it's like, it's kind of weird to me. It's like not corporate. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I wanted. I wanted to build something great without losing the element and the spirit and 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 the and the essence of humanity in it. Because most people lose humanity and spirit on the pursuit to some great success that's an illusion in the ego. And I just never wanted to be that. I always I always thought as a kid, I didn't know what it meant, but now I, I'm living it. I wanted to be a spiritual CEO. Emphasis on the yeah. spiritual, you know. Wow. That was actually one of my questions was you refer to yourself as a spiritual CEO and that struck that just struck out to me when I read that and I've, I've heard it in several of your messages now and I think you've alluded to a lot of what it means it, it means that higher level of consciousness like taking that step back to do a lot of self-evaluation so for our listeners I think I think you'd agree like whatever you're putting in the world is going to be reflected back to you from your team so if you're like my team's really not doing what I want them to do yet, brother, you might want to look in the mirror first. Like, yeah. and if you want them to raise their level, like you got to raise your own level first and they'll, they'll follow. Right. Yeah. I like to say, Adam, you don't build business, business builds you. Oh yeah. It's an, it's people got this backwards, man. See a real entrepreneur, they listen to the market. They give people what they're wanting. A bad entrepreneur goes out there and goes, I want to sell this thing. No one cares. Good entrepreneur goes, what do people need? See, great leaders the same way. They don't go, I want to make people follow me. Great leaders go, what, are, what needs to be done? What do they need from me? A great business is not, I want to do look this way. Great business says, here's who you need to become. So in that way, isn't it spiritual? A lot of people talk a lot about, oh, no feelings, no spirit, no this. Where else is it? I challenge yeah. those people. Where else is it? If you remove feelings from this life, if I took the part of your brain that triggers off emotional sensations in your body, you can't feel anything anymore. You'll be a robot. You'll never have any bad habits. You'll only do what needs to be done. You'll be very like a machine. Tell me, is have you achieved success in life? Because you'll make a billion dollars most likely because all you'll do like a machine is you won't sleep, you won't feel, you won't do anything. Now is that life. 
Or isn't life the ability to feel sensations of things? Isn't life the, mm-hmm. the feeling of uh, the fear that comes with like wanting to do something where you're nervous or the love of something or the excitement? Isn't that the meaning of your life? Isn't why we're doing all these things to feel more? Because feeling is healing and it also is living. And so all these people are like suppress the emotion, don't feel. And I used to be one of those guys too. I used to teach everyone. Like, don't, it doesn't matter what your passion is. It doesn't matter what your feeling is. This, this, this. I would, I would be that guy. Like, you got to act in spite of what you feel. And now I'm like, you have to act with your feeling. I've become a complete opposite person because God and consciousness has taught me that. I was wrong. It's the, it's the nature of the ego and the logic to, to convince yourself that there's a construct or structured in nature. Go and try to put a border around the forest. <laughs> forest is a very imperfect thing. That's why it's perfect. There is no one thing that's like the other thing. Everything is absolutely invariable and, and uh, non-patternistic. Everything. The only thing that's consistent is the inconsistency. That is the nature of God, life, and all things. So life itself is inconsistent. Everyone's trying to be consistent. It's only the ego's nature to want to make consistency, box everything, structure, make walls. Nothing wrong with this. It's a very masculine energy to want to build a you know, business itself is a very masculine ego-driven thing. That's a beautiful thing. But you must not buy into the illusion that that is life. Yeah, it's like this. A car is obviously constraint. There's four doors. There's a hood. There's a you're in a box. House is the same. It's okay to go on this thing and and use it in your life. Well, when you start to think you are the car or the house, now you have a problem. Mm. When you start to think everything is the logic of what you say, everything is the routine that you live by, everything is the discipline. Now we have a problem. You are trying to drink the ocean through a straw. Yeah, and you can't. So that's where stress comes from. It's not about being whimsical or careless. People think when they hear me speak, they go, but Armin, you're so like, duh, duh, duh. I am probably more productive than most human beings you've ever met. And, and I say this humbly, like I, I now do five times more than what I've ever done. And that was more than the Armin that used to be like that, where everything was, I timed everything. There was like, oh, duh, duh. now I'm just like, I got like a full-time business. I'm running with a co-founder, 20 employees, 350 clients. I see 26 elite clients one-on-one bi-weekly, 26 business owners, I'm saying one-to-one, not, not like group. I'm one-on-one calls and I don't feel any of it. I have a sales school I'm starting for free, a speaking school we're starting with another client for free. I'm hired like, and it's just all this thing, it's happening beyond control because I am not in control anymore. And this is kind of my message to you is when I used to thrive off control, which is just an illusion, you control nothing in life. Your ego just makes you believe, oh, no, this is you. It's not you. Just because you find some resemblance of you were here doesn't mean it was yours. And you let go and control and you surrender that nonsense. And you just focus on being in devotional service to do what's great at all times with no outcome, attachment to what you want from it. You just do. Do what needs to be done. You live at such a high level of consciousness. Things 10 times more than your capacity will come in. And somehow, because you're not the mediator or the, the controlling factor of all the things, and God is in life is in pretty much people like the energy of it all is you can do a hundred times more and feel like you're still doing not enough and that's where i'm at now so it's not a cop out to not being disciplined or inconsistent no it's it's a it's an opt-in to peaceful living and peace brings presence and presence is power Mm. peace brings presence and presence is power i am at the most optimal power i've ever been in my life because i don't want the power anymore i'm not trying to control things anymore and I don't think things should be my way. I'm just at service. Wow. So recently, like you, you actually st- stepped away from the business for a little bit, didn't you? Just like let 
was it like 60 days? I think I remember where he just stepped away from yeah. the business and yeah, about a full month, but like oh, almost. Full month. Month. Yeah. So how, how, in retrospect, I, I've, I've read like, it's a good thing for you, but how did you feel in that moment? Like yeah. having to let go of that control? I, Cause I think that was probably an inflection point. It was a turning point for you. I imagine. Right. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. It felt like something was being ripped out of me and stitched back up. You know, it just, when you live so long, closely identifying yourself to the idea of who you are and your image and your beliefs and your results and your rewards and all this, like when you become so attached, it feels like you are killing an entire person. You essentially go through grief when you let go of it. It's a griefing process when you let go of your own ego. And see, I didn't kill my ego. You cannot do such a thing. I also did not hurt my ego or like be upset with it. It's not the devil, you know. It's just that there is a mechanism that was built into my mind called the ability to have an ego. Any desire you have in life requires some type of ego to build because to get it, you need to believe something about yourself and believe something about the thing and work towards it. That's all ego. If I completely remove ego, you meet like a yogi in the mountains. They want nothing. They are nothing. They need nothing. And that way they're everything. So there's no ego ever needed, but it doesn't mean it's not there. That means their ego is like a little tiny raisin shriveled up in the side of their mind. It's just sitting there like never needed for anything. If you don't use something, you lose it. It's just, that's all it is. So, but at any moment, if they want something again, boom, ego comes back in because they got to believe they can get it. They got to get it. They got to find a structure on how to go about it. They got to want it. All those things are egotistical parts of life. They're components of ego. And ego is a beautiful thing. There's a way to have a healthy one. As long as like a little, I call it like a little dog on a leash. That's mm -hmm. how you got to look at it. Like, it's my little dog on a leash. It's like, you know, sometimes it barks and moves you around, but maybe it's a huge dog on a leash. Maybe that way you look at it. Cause then it can pull you sometimes. You got to teach it to sit. And so when you that closely identify to your own ego, which is my beliefs, I thought about life, everything I thought I was right about, everything I thought about me, I was right. And how I treated people, which is very militant. Like I was never, I was mean to people for sure. Like when I grew up with a brother that made fun of people all the time, and it was hilarious to me. So you combine that with some militant leadership, you're going to find really like bullying type leadership. And I, I admit that was like that many times, but I caught myself and I'd be like, I don't really mean that. Like, stop. I was just making a joke. And, or I would just like say the most rudest things because I'm like, that's the truth though. So I justified a lot of shit that I used to be like, because I'd be like, yeah, but I'm right. And that's what the ego does. You do stupid shit or bad shit to people or to yourself or to things. And you go, but because I'm right, it's okay. Yeah. So in that way, it's like, Having the right intention has caused a lot of suffering in the world. You know, I'm sure Hitler thought he was right for what he was doing. I think millions of people would disagree. And so when you look at it, you go, that's just the ego out of control. It's just the ego that has taken the wheel. If you look at it like this, like I'm in a house, it's my consciousness. And there's a house next to me, the neighbor. That's the ego's consciousness. It's as if we leave our house, we go into the ego's house, and now see the house can kick you around, give you shit, make fun of you because you're in his house. If you're in your own ego's house, the problem is you're the guest there. So he's the master, you're the, you're the servant. In that way, it's very uncomfortable. You have to bend to the will of whatever they want. The goal is walk out of the house and you go, hey, by the way, this house belongs to me. You're just living here. Get your ass back in my house and uh, sit there. And why don't you clean the rug while you're at it? And I'll give you some food when you're ready. And so you got to treat it the way it's supposed to be. It's like the ego cannot be given too much importance it must be given enough uh acknowledgement and love that you need it for things like hey thank you so okay i have a prayer i say i go my dear ego i love you thank you for helping me in the attainment of desires in my life for helping me 
achieve anything I set my mind to, but it will do you well to remember, I am your master and you are my servant. And there's two other prayers. Can I say them? There's a, it's like a three yeah. component kind of mantra that came to me one time I was sitting on meditation. This came to me and it keeps me in check. It keeps Armin in check. The second one is my beautiful mind. I love you. Thank you for giving me the power to turn any idea into reality with my imagination through thought. And in turn, be able to manifest anything. It will do you well to remember, I am your commander and you listen to me. Because what I realized was, see, the mind is always running its mouth. Thoughts are coming in and out hundred times an hour. And sometimes you sit there in meditation stillness and you go, ah, oh, this is just the mind running the water. You keep doing that. But whenever I command you to stop, you stop. And that's what presence is. Now I live this way where I go right now, I don't need to be thinking. So you can stop. And I build this kind of relationship with my own mind. And it goes, okay. And I just sit there and I enjoy all the senses of the now. Some people like, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. Someone goes, I wish I could do that. I can't do that. You can. It just takes practice. Yeah. And the third one is, this is my favorite one. My beloved Armin. I love you. Thank you for giving me. Thank you for letting me play you in this life. Giving me an identity, relationships, an image, a name, and the gift of human experience. It will do you well to remember you are not real. And I am the source of your existence. See, when they speak this way, I am speaking from my own consciousness, my actual soul, what I am, into who I am. Because I'm living from the place of what I am, not from the who I am. Because the who I am could be made and broken and changed. You can change the name. You can change your face. You can change your gender at this point. You can change anything. The who you are can change all day long because that is not what you are. What you are cannot be changed. We are all souls. We are all a spiritual, a spiritual essence behind all of this. So for me, it's like, it's not that the ego is bad. It's that the wrong person steering the wheel. Mm. You just put it back in the passenger seat. And that's what stillness is, man. Meditation, stillness. like That's what being a spiritual CEO is. It's conscious business. It's, yeah. a, it's, an, it's a high alert level of awareness of all things you do and why you do it and how you treat each other. And that's what that is. And if the world operated the way my company runs, like with that culture, world peace would be already happening people wouldn't be murdering nothing will be happening like this everyone would just go hey we're all one people so how do we all win and is there winning and losing if there's no game no there's no game we're just here right now and some of us are different some of us like this some of us like that and even some bad things sometimes we do to each other we go i can forgive you i see why you did that person harms another person or abuses them you go i understand you were abused the other goes i i hurt you it's like hurting myself this is the kind of world that we'd be, we'd be living in. Not that bad things don't happen, but that there is meaning to bad things that gives meaning to good things. Mm. If I put you in daylight all day, how could you ever know what light is? It's only until the darkness comes that you have a meaning to light. In this way, people are trying to eliminate half of one side of existence, which is the bad or dark, what we call that. It's like a Thanos complex. You're just thinking if I cut half the population in the entire universe, everyone will survive better. This is just a stupid egoic idea. It's you must accept 
the complete package of what life is. This is darkness. This is light. This is good. This is bad. This is up. There's down. The duality is what makes it perfect. But when you realize that both is necessary, just like electron and proton with the, with the atom. Now, when you realize it's all necessary, you're actually operating from a high level of consciousness in life because you realize all the nature and science of things existing is this way. So when we start to pretend like, oh, but I don't want bad things happening, we're just being unnatural. To be natural is to be aligned with natural law and the harmonies of things. So when I can sit back and go away, if both are necessary, then what's the point of avoiding one, wanting one, pain, pleasure? None of this matters. All of it's just nonsense. So we just sit back and go, oh, life is so interesting. It's so fun. Whatever happens, it's life. And that's so cool. And I can enjoy it all. Something bad happens, something good happens, something painful happens, something beautiful happens. Oh, it's all good. It's all life. Because when you die, you close your eyes, all your senses go away, everything melts away. You don't remember anything. You don't know anything. You don't believe anything. You can't be anyone. You don't have a name. So when you melt away and you die, tell me then, will it matter all these things right now? Or are you not grateful that if you can just open your eyes one last time and experience the presence and the anchoring of now in this life, in this physical form, you could imagine things, you could feel things, you could eat something. If you feel sick, you could feel the sensation of sick. It's better than feeling nothing. And so suddenly all of life becomes beautiful. This is why I always say life is delicious because it really is. Like I started to look at it as like I'm biting into a, a juicy watermelon on a hot summer's day. And that's what every moment of life should feel like. Dude, this is deep. I knew it was going to be deep. And so that's why I was looking forward to it because this, this thing we call running a business, it's not about checklists. It's, it's so much deeper than that. I, and I know me coming from military background, trying to lead a team of like heart-centered entrepreneur types. Yeah, my military methods didn't work anymore. You know, yeah. I had to adapt to a higher level. And there's an interesting thing that you, you posted. It was back in December already. And I'm not one of those guys, but I did screenshot all of these things because I thought That's it was it. one of the That's coolest good. things I've ever it. seen. It, it was, you had just come out of some stillness and I've been a big fan of the silence for a couple of years now. It's really changed my life. But there's a moment where you put like, now it's your duty to increase your team's capacity to believe they can do more. Something that mm -hmm. you wrote. And so... And, and that is building your business, building your people. Yes. So I'd love to explore that with you. Like, how do you build your people? How do you get them to believe they are much more than that? Yeah, they're whatever they're achieving right now. Great. Awesome. High five. But what's next? Like, how do, how do you consciously get them to reach farther than they believe they're, they're even capable of? Give them purpose. Mm. Give them purpose. You know, there's a saying, the most dangerous thing in the world is a purposeless man. Because a man with no purpose on how to use his mind, I'll get to women, but a man with no purpose, who is not using his mind for anything, turns into a rapist, a killer, an abusive father. A man with no purpose does not know how to channel and transmit all the energy he has inside of him into something worth building, something that's good. So the default is to put it into anything that's idle or around the distractor and it's bad. And for a woman, this is going to be very challenging for most people. I'm not saying this is my opinion. I'm only saying I like to look at history, things that have always worked. I'm always open to being wrong about this, but just let this touch your mind. For a woman, the purpose is love. In that way, that is why they're biologically designed to be able to find a man, a partner, to fuel their love into, 
to build them up in their endeavors to go out there. This is why hunter-gatherers, you know, I could do the whole shebang teach you, the hunter-gatherer biology and why the woman could bear a child, the man can't. Man is only a penetrator. If you look at the essence of our biology, man penetrates. Woman is a receiver. Our genitals are built that way for a reason. Man's energy is very masculine to go build, structure, achieve, go towards things, danger. Woman is to care, nurture, cultivate, creatively, emotion, all this stuff. Men need to be in tune with their feminine energy more. And women need to double down on their feminine energy. Interesting, isn't it? I see yeah. this a lot. All of the women are saying, oh, we don't want to be women anymore. We want to be more like men, or at least be treated like men. This is really all they're saying. I want to get paid more. I want to do this. I want to, I want to be respected on all this stuff. You know, it's very interesting. Nothing against it. Everyone can live the way they want to live. I'm not even saying this way. I'm saying is the right way of living. I just want to pique your interest. If you're a true life is student of life, then every form of opinion you should be open to. You go, oh, interesting. If you're so convinced, see, if anyone hears this and they go, I'm offended at it. See, now you're living in the illusion of the ego. You're not actually living life anymore. You're just stuck in the, I am something. So don't say anything about it. Well, then good luck. I love you so much, but you're living unconscious. You want to live consciously? Then you choose. You could be this person, or that person and still go, but I'm open to all things and I see why it's right. Okay. Well, then this, the world doesn't need more masculine energy. Right? And he's more We don't need more feminine men. We need men who have feminine energy. And it's a very important difference. We're not talking about men who are less manly, meaning the less willing to take risk, uh, protect, or go out there and build, or have bigger dreams, or uh, be able to act with their fear, which is courage, which is called in spite of fear, right? We need men that have the ability to listen have the ability to compassionately feel something, have the ability to be able to understand a person, have the ability to pause and not only react. They need to have the ability to have creative thinking, not a person who just goes, oh, I need this and this house done, but they go, interesting God, wife, people, you tell me, what do you think? I mean, I want to think. I want to really be creative about this. We need more men that are know how to be stern when they need to and know how to turn it off and be loving. So we need love. The world needs love, which is more the components of what feminine energy is. Doesn't mean masculinity is in love. It is just a form of love that is very structured. Meaning, and I always look at this, I started studying religions and I'm not a religious person. I'm, on, I'm not any type of person. So if you try to call me something, my answer is always, sure. I'm all of it, I guess. Yeah. So I, I study, I started to read the Bhagavad Gita from Hindus, the Bible from Christians and, um, the Quran from the Muslims. I realized the same thing. I went and prayed in a church. I went and prayed in, the, uh, in a mosque. It was very interesting to me. I wanted to kind of meet God in many ways. I realized something. I said, see, the Christians, they've mastered relationship with the divine, relationship with God. So much so that even Jesus, when you look at him, he says to the creator, Father, he's making it a human-like relationship with the all-knowing divine. And so they have mastered, they have really became fully 100% about the love and the relationship and the understanding communication between you and God. Because that's what Jesus' whole mission was. He came in and he said, all you guys think you got to go into these constructs, these buildings to feel God. You can feel God in your bedroom, just sleeping there talking to him. So that's what he was teaching him when that there's only one God and his, and his name is Adonai or father and that all of you could speak to him. It's a very beautiful message. He was the messenger of that sense. You go into the Quran. See, every Muslim it is absolutely forbidden to call God anything less than absolute greatness and above all things. 
So it is any idea that you are his, you're his uh, son, he's your father, all this is completely wrong. Very interesting. Right? And they believe Jesus was real, but he wasn't a messenger. He was just a prophet. The real messenger was Prophet Muhammad because Prophet Muhammad came with an entire curriculum on exactly what God wants for you to be in devotion to him, which Jesus didn't. Jesus came and just spoke and someone transcribed everything he said most of the time. So you just look at the situation, like, interesting. So I don't understand why, why the Muslims would have a, I would say, an ego around, we got this right because we got the actual book with manual. I probably would believe that too over Jesus was just talking and some people interpreted what he said, right? It sounds pretty convincing. And so I look at that, I'm like, so there's two elements here that both need each other. The Muslim, right, Islam, they have a very structured, disciplined relationship with God. Everything you go in there, they pray five times. I did, I did Ramadan this year. I've never done this. I'm not even a Muslim. I'm like, I really want to see what this is like. I fasted, my mouth was going dry. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. I'm keep remembering while I'm going through this feeling, I'm doing it for God. So it's a really big act of I love you, God. But see, when I was sitting down with us praying the five uh, five times a day, I wasn't doing the I did it a few times. But see, in my heart, I sat there, I'm like, God, I already feel you in my body. So I would sit there and I'd meditate during the five prayers. Now, if a Muslim heard that, they'd be like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, right it's no problem see it's this i'm not forcing you to meditate so you don't force me to pray your certain way this is i'm saying consciousness so i was sitting there i'd meditate and then i would every morning wake up i'd do my prayer and i would actually listen to the islam like the the the, the singing is beautiful the arab singing they do and at night as well and i read the quran and here's what i learned the muslims very masculine energy serious country like discipline i respected them so much i'm like if islam taught the christian Follow me. If Islam taught the Christians how to have a respectful, disciplinary, routine kind of relationship with God, Christians would get more out of the relationship with God. Okay. They would get way more out of it because there would be a, a respectful, like kind of professional relationship, which is kind of what they treat God like. Like we are in your mercy, as if God is a, you know, I want to say they make him sound like a raging tyrant but i mean they might as well because they make him sound like someone you fear like a, like a an entity you would fear is it true is it not true i don't know. i'm not god so all i'll say is that that's what it feels like like i am beneath god that is how they make it sound but there's a beauty to that there is a humbling of the ego to know you are never great greater than god that was so beautiful for me i'm like wow but see you go into the christian world that doesn't happen much you all have people walking around like they're jesus right they'll walk around mm -hmm. like i'm god too Nothing wrong with this. I'm just saying that the ego there is much more loose and open, which is not bad. It just means that's the, what they've learned how to know God. They, but if they learn any form of the discipline that Islam has, they would actually have a very much more disciplined and beautiful, I would say, respectful relationship with God. Now, you go, so who's right, who's wrong? I don't know who's right or wrong. There's no such thing. Again, that's just the right. illusion. But we look at all of it as one. All of it is God, and we are all of it. And so we are, in that sense, if we're all of it and all of it is God, then the answer is for you. The Christians have mastered a beautiful, compassionate relationship with God where they don't are not afraid. They only go to God or divinity, or you would say the consciousness, that soul, the thing behind all things for guidance, for ministry. It's a very beautiful, loving relationship. See, it's also love with the Muslim, but the feeling isn't lovely. The feeling is respect. And the Muslim, this is how these my experience. The, and the Christian side was more, I am you, my father. I love you. And they treat each other better. They love each other. Miracles are happening amongst each other. You know, in the Christian where you go, people are like walking out of nowhere. I, these things are real. Because the person's faith is so strong, they instantly change their, bio, their biochemical reaction, their biology inside. And like someone couldn't see before, they'll see. 
There is explanations behind these things. But in the Quran, everyone's like, you're a servant. You're like a soldier in the military. So if the Islam taught the Christian world respect and discipline and structure, they would have a much better religion. And if the Christians taught the Muslim world how to not fear God, but rather love him as if you are one with him, you would have a world that is... The supernatural consciousness would be insane. Now, here's the funny part. You go, then where's the Hindus? Because this is the three largest religions. There's a lot of other ones. Buddhism is a religion, but I've been studying them too. Hinduism mm -hmm. now is kind of like really far, like even past Jesus. More like we are God. Krishna consciousness is you, but they have a disciplinary act of like the Quran, how they do it, which is like, you are not Krishna. Like Krishna consciousness, that divine being, God, superhead, spiritual being is, is like you does you serve that thing so it's very like islam but they also have the loving compassion of you must integrate the spirit the mind the body of the really so they're kind of like the in between i'm not saying one's more right than the other but i'm really i'm like interesting they have both qualities which if you go into india if you go into the hindu world you'll find far superior conscious people walking around the people like Sadhguru that can heal a person, heal themselves. They can do things beyond capability of a human being. But I don't see Christians doing that. I don't see Muslims doing that. I don't see Kabbalahs from the Jewish religion doing that. But I do see the Hindus. And so there's something to learn from all of them, I'm saying. My point is this. The world doesn't need to all be in, into structure. What they need from all of the structures happened for hundreds of years is a sense of relationship, a deeper relationship with themselves, their spirit, and others, and their spirit, and God. And so that's more loving. It's more love. There's an underlying energy behind all creation, which is love. It's an awareness, but if you sit still enough, you'll feel the awareness has a tone of love to it, like you love it all. You, And that's the only way to say it. It's not that love, but it's this feeling of, I'm grateful for this, and I don't deserve it, but I have it, so thank you for this. And that's that's the God in you. And so... I'm saying this because we don't need more men that are less manly. I'm saying we need more men that are loving, which is feminine energy. And women need to double down in love. They don't need to be like men. And it's not that men are bad or masculinity is bad. It's that there's an overdose of it in the world. And so if you want balance, which real peace and spiritual in this world will come from, is that the women must be trusted more to love and allowed to love. They have to stop trying to be something that they're not only because... Not because, oh, but I can be. So I, I can also be a serial killer, but I'm not going to go killing people to prove I can. Right? So if you're a woman, you're like, you know what I mean? You're like, your essence is beauty and love and creation. Don't just be like, well, just because you said I can't be a man, I'm going to go prove it. Why? That's just all ego. We're all just stuck in this illusion where we need to prove to each other that you don't control me, which is just a bad child's cry from the ego. It's like if the, if the ego was a baby. It'd be walking around like, ah, give me attention. That, that's what's happening with people. Someone asked me earlier to like, what do you think about LGBTQ and all that? I'm like, yeah, one in four every, uh, one in four students in high school in America now is, is reported to be LGBTQ. I'm like, I'm like, I have nothing, really, I have nothing to think about or say about it. Like, I'm, I don't agree or I don't disagree. It's, it's not my business, really. The answer is that. But I will say this if there's anything I have learned from being still for hours of power and hours in silence, is that when I open my eyes, I see truth, I feel the truth, and I go, truth is simple. They can do that because they want, they can. And the problem is they're probably only doing that because they can. Not because they want to, not because they need to, and not because they you know, want it or need it. It's just that they can. And when you get enough people in the world who are bored, and what I mean by mentally bored, I mean like they have no real purpose in life. To do something, feel something about who they are, you'd be surprised how creative the mic could get in cutting you inside out that way, this way, 
just to kind of find yourself identified with something. And so my only worry is in my heart is to everyone, the whole battle between the gay, right, or straight and all this stuff, like the transgender, like my only, my heart goes to them only in one sense. Like, I just really hope they're really at peace. Aside from being accepted by the world that they can be this and be accepted, I don't think that's the peace they're going to get. Like, even if the whole world said, no, we're okay, uh, everyone could be whatever they want. I don't think they'll sit there and go, oh, I could be at peace now. Let me sit in bliss. I think they'll just find something new. And it's because of, uh, devil, <laughs> the idle mind is the devil's playground. So I'm not worried about, can you do this? Can you not? It's none of our business. A human being can do whatever they want with themselves. But why we're doing this is where the spirit comes in. Is this person really saying they're like, I feel inside my heart, I need to have 17 piercings? I don't know, maybe. I'm not in that person. But I'm wondering, is this all just an act of cry of loneliness, sadness, some form of just emptiness inside there? Like if I am something more, it's called peacocking. In the world of where I came from, sales marketing is peacocking. It's like standing out. Insecurities and ego have a sense of doing that when they feel underdeserved. And so no different than a dog or a child that's like feeling like there's no attention, they will do whatever it takes. If you've ever seen a little, like little devil running around, like these kids that just parenting wasn't there, you can tell like, they're not a bad kid. They just, that's the only coping mechanism they have for feeling important again. And I think it's like, it's not bad that people can be these things. It's not even bad that women want to be more masculine or more successful, respected. None of this is bad. It's just that, can we please all sit in consciousness and question, are we doing this because it's right for us? our spirit, our soul, like it brings peace to us, brings love into the world. Or are we doing it because we need to feel important? And so if the men learned how to be loving more and the women learn how to cherish and accept and honor that they are full of love, the whole world, love would heal it. Love would heal the wars. Love would heal the battles. Love would heal the, the egos. Love would heal the murder, the rape, the, all of this. Love would heal all of it. Love is all that we need. But the men have come around, even as, as historic as the story of the Cain bloodline after you know Adam and Eve ate the apple, Cain murdered his brother. And you would see in the movie, there's a good movie called uh, uh, The Ark. I think Noah, it's the story of Noah and the flood. And it's just, you meet these Cain bloodline of humans and all of them just eat animals. Like they kill each other. They, they do all this unconscious stuff. And their entire belief system on justifying it. And if you see the movie, the guy looks at him and goes, we are men. We make our choices, not God. God hasn't been here for so long. So because we're men, what makes you a man is making your own choices. If you want to eat, you eat what you want, you do what you want. It's like, that's not man. That's right. ego. That's the, that's the symbolic representation of what Satan was in the story. Like if you were to metaphorically look at what the devil was, was that, and, how, and I'm with this, the devil metaphorically in the story was, the child of God himself turned around and said, I own you. See, tell me how foolish would it be if a baby came out of the mother's womb, turned around when it was old enough and said, I made you. He would say, this kid's a little, you know, like something's off in there. He's completely blind and unconscious. This is no different than the devil came out. He would say Lucifer came out. It was an angel, whatever the story goes. Lucifer came out, whatever. One day he goes, looks at the mirror and goes, you know, my hair is nicer than God. Maybe I could do this myself. And he just turns around. He looks at God and says, well, I am as powerful as you, if not more. And he says, no problem. Well, if that's how you think, he didn't say, I'm going to punish you. I don't think God did that. I think God just said, very simply, if that's how you want to think, which is that you are separate from all divinity and perfection, which is that you are God, 
You are me already. You don't need to think you're better than me. But it's an unnatural idea to think you are above the very source of what created you. I'm going to have to take you somewhere where you can live in that atmosphere. We call that hell. I have to put you somewhere where you can exist because in this natural law, where all of perfection is one, you cannot think this way. So by nature, you are an unnatural thing. Nothing against you, but if you want to believe that, I need to cast you away into a place where you can create your own laws of unnatural things. And then you look at that and go, interesting. So the devil was just someone who just completely became unconscious. Lucifer just thought, oh, I'm better than the guy who made me. And when I look at that, like whether the story is true or not, I don't, I don't debate things that are up for debate. It's anything debatable, I don't like talking about. What's the point? I'll tell you about the fact though. Can we think about the metaphor for a moment? Mm -hmm. So if Lucifer is, or Satan is the idea of the person who thinks God, he is better than God, what does that sound like? Is you are a human, very spiritual, powerful thing, and you have an ego that thinks it is better than others. So can it Satan or the idea of Lucifer, devil, metaphorically mean the ego? Of course. Just for a moment, play with me. It could mean the ego. And then what is God? Your consciousness, your divinity, the thing that you are, what you are, not who you are. In the sense, isn't it make sense now? Every time you see the battle between light and dark, devil and, and you know God, it's just the it's like they even bring the cartoons on you. Like there's one that say, they're both you. That's the secret. That what if they're just both you? You are the devil. You are God. Well. Because there is a God in you, and then there is a component in you that was built from the law of duality, and the you know the apple was eaten, so we were conscious of like good and bad, and so we go there's difference. Because if we never ate that apple, then all we would just think is everything's good. There's no such thing as bad, which is actually the underlying truth to all of it. Even with the bad, is still good because it's all part of one whole big perfect picture. Then you would say, oh, the devil is me. If I, it's the ego part of me. If untamed. So if I could teach the, my ego, just like I would teach a child growing up to honor the creator that made it. I am your master. You are my servant. Not that we have to do that with kids. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in terms of like, I'm your mother, I'm your father, like love me. Like, you know, there's a respect there. And that's why in the Quran, it says that Bible says everywhere says to respect your parents, not because you like them or the personality or agree with their beliefs. That's just ego. I used to hate my mother. I, I, I remember I was like, no, I don't, she's not my mom. And I'm like, no, there's an unconsciousness in me thinking this way. A consciousness in me, my spirit would tell me, this woman created me. Same way I say, God created me. I'm not mine. God created me. I didn't choose when I was born, when I was dead. I don't choose when I get to leave, like, you know, how I was born. All of this was beyond my control. So in this sense, ego is just the illusion of control. The illusion of I am better than the thing that made me because I am in control. And therefore, you live in a place called hell when you're living in your ego. ego. So if you look at the metaphor, Hell and heaven isn't really an afterlife. It's right now. And depending on where you're living from, you are creating that hell or heaven for yourself. If you're living in the illusions of control, you're living from the ego, you're living in hell. What is hell? You go home and hell is eternal fire. Uh, I'm sure they made it a little dramatic in the explanation. Uh, let me tell you something. Let me give you hell and heaven in the perfect definition. Hell is just simply this. Things that you don't want happening, happening to you without your control. Would that not say it's hell? We would also call rape that murder that any form of really like traumatic ideas of human to doing to human is just a form of hell because we are doing something we don't want done to us being done to us without our control and it's happening over time forever this is the idea of hell if you're burning in fire you don't want that happening to you and you're happy you can't stop it so that's what hell is hell is the idea that you're living in a place or that you're in an environment where things that you don't want happening to you is happening and you can't control it and it's terrible 
in that way, we kind of have a taste of hell every day to some degree. If you're in traffic, you didn't want to be in traffic. If you're <laughs> arguing with somebody, you're like, oh my God. So you're living in a form of hell at all times. So then what's heaven? Now, that's the funny part, Adam. Most people think the opposite is heaven, right? You go, so then heaven is the place where all things are happening the way I want it to all the time? Ah, doesn't make any sense, does it? If that was the definition of heaven, we'd rock around into heaven. We see a bunch of naked girls running around because one guy thought, this is what I need. This is good. I need this. I need an orgy, you know? And so like, it's not that. It's not the definition of heaven is not all the things you want happening to you is happening. We would call that happiness, which is, if you never, and we never noticed that the word happiness is about happening. Hmm. Happiness, just all the things you want happening, happening to you. So that's all happiness is. Even the word itself is giving you away the secret. But now let me tell you consciousness. What the opposite of hell is, is peace. Peace has nothing to do with happiness. But in peace, when you really cultivate all of it and you're with it, there's joy and bliss, which is much greater than happiness. Happiness is the things you want happen. What you want to happen or what you wanted, you get. This is not heaven. So what is the idea of heaven army? If hell is all the bad things that you never want happening to is happening, and happiness is the in-between where like things you want happening is happening, but still you could lose it, so you go back to hell, then heaven is this. Full acceptance of all things happening the way it is, and you're okay with it. So that means the traffic happens. Oh, that's okay. It's supposed to happen. If I make a lot of money, that was supposed to happen. If my wife leaves me, cheats on me, that was supposed to happen. This is heaven. Complete detachment from all the illusions. And then that way you can be fully involved with it because you can watch the movie and instead of having traumatic effects during the horror scene, because you think it's real, that's a psychotic disorder. You can watch them and we go, oh, this part's really scary, but I know it's not real, so I can enjoy it. So life must feel this way is that I'm going through like, this is a really bad time in my life. You go, but I know it's not real. So I can enjoy the bad time in my life. But if you think it's real, you start to have mental disorders. You get depression, ADHD, you start having to take drugs. You have to go into sex and alcohol, all these things because you're living into an illusion. So hell is just the illusion. Not only ironically, is it an illusion, but it is the main definition of what illusion is. It is you creating a hell. You have control of things you think. And if you lose it, it's bad. If you have it, you can lose it. So there's no, this is why the Buddha says, and this is the fourth religion I'm bringing in now at this point, to cross-reference the truth amongst all of them. This is why the Buddha said, all life is suffering. Yeah. But I want to not correct it. I just want to add one extra word I think would make a more accurate statement. I think I know what he meant, but people say life is suffering. Life is beautiful the way it is. It's delicious. Nothing's wrong with life. But all life situation is suffering. Because situation is a mental construct made in the ego. It's not in life itself. Presence is not suffering. But what the Buddha achieved was, if I sit here and I don't need anything, I don't want anything, I can just be free of it all. So I'm liberated and I feel peaceful and everything's okay. And then you would see in the movies, like the story was the ego will come in and like tempt him with women. And he would just sit there looking at them. And then the ego would come and scare him with an army in front of him, way to kill him. And it would just evaporate because he would sit there because he was okay with all of it happening. Whether he dies that moment, they, they rape him at that moment, nothing mattered to him. He's like, oh, it's okay because it's not real. And lastly, the ego came in and scared him. He's like, you know, you, you need to listen to me. And he goes, my dear ego, you're an illusion. And then he just wivers away. And that's the mastery of life is the detachment and unlearning of illusion. And so hell is just that. Unfortunately, then everyone's living in hell. Most people are because most people are living in the life situation of I am in control of this and I have to be a certain way. You really want peacefulness. You need to realize none of it's real. That way you can do all of it without 
any of the side effects or the negative or the fears or the pain or the hell-like qualities of living, you can still go through all the bad times. You can still be hurt. You can still do all this and you can enjoy it all. You can enjoy being hurt. You can enjoy being upset. You can enjoy being scared. You can enjoy being broke. All of it's enjoyable because you go, wow, heaven is, I accept all things that is. And I'll end with this. People think spirituality is the mastery journey of getting to a place where nothing bad happens. But spirituality is no such thing. Spirituality is the mastering journey of getting to a place where no matter what happens, it's okay. Brother, I knew this was going to be an epic one. But the listeners out there, if you need to go back and listen to this again, I'm going to. I don't know about y'all, but a lot to gather from here. And... Brother, thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous with us. Um, genuinely appreciate it. Before we go, one final short question, just to bring us back to the beginning. Who, which Marvel superhero is Armin? I'm all of them. You can't cop out. Come on, you got to pick one. No? All right. I see all of them in me. The inspiring leadership of Captain America, the wittiness and willingness to die of Iron Man, the quirkiness and the strength of Thor, the humble yet extremely raging beast mode of the Hulk, the loving compassion and the service attitude of uh, the Archer, the quick and flexibility and swiftness and sexiness of Black Widow, all of them. Even the righteousness of thinking I am right of Thanos. All of them. Mm. They're all you, man. They're all just different components of your ego. That's what the movies are teaching you. Which when I gravitate towards Captain America, only because he's the symbol of a shield protecting the people. And he's always the one who has the heart to do the right thing. Even if it's boring, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it's hard. You can always count it. He will lay his life down. In that way, I, I hope, I, I don't think I'm perfect, but I hope that the arm I'm building becomes that kind of a service attitude person. I love it, man. It's been such an honor, dude. Like I said, you've been so generous with your time. Um, uh, listeners, uh, I'll have links to the, in the show notes. You got to check him out at hightechcoaching.com. Like I said, he's definitely an inspiration. And just thank you so much for your experience, for sharing it with us. And if this just helps one, one person out there, I mean, we're all on this journey together. None of us are figuring it out on our own. So like lean on each other and, and we will we will certainly get to that, that heaven that we're trying to build for ourselves. So brother, thank you so much. And um, any last words before we wrap things up here? Yes. I love you, I am you, and you are me. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click Start Here.